invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. I'm going to begin reading at verse 17 and read through verse 24. 1 Kings chapter 18 beginning at verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? He said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. Now then send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets of Baal, and 400 prophets of the Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Now let them give us two oxen, let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood, and I will not put fire under it. Then you call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of the Lord, the God who answers, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, that is a good idea. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that you would uh, take your word and use it, Father, to show us today that you alone are God. You are worthy of our praise. You are indeed indescribable, unattain uncontainable. Uh, you created all things. Uh, Lord, we, we acknowledge today uh, who you are and who we are in light of your glory and majesty we pray that you would teach us then as we open your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It would be very easy to read this account in 1 Kings chapter 18 and say, Whoa, Elijah was quite a man, huh? Elijah, you are the man. I would suggest to you that that is not really what is the focus of this passage of Scripture. For a couple reasons, one thing James tells us that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was no different than we are, so we don't exalt him. The second reason I would say we don't exalt Elijah is because the focus of this passage really isn't on Elijah. The focus of this passage is on the God of Elijah. And that is very clear as we look at how this passage ends. Let me just read, starting at verse 36. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, 
and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, Whoa, Elijah, what a man you are. No, that's not. If you're following along, you know it wasn't that. They said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Now, we're thankful for men like Elijah. But the focus here is the God of Elijah. And as we look at this passage this morning, my desire for us is very, very simple. I pray that we might see in a clear way and an encouraging way that the Lord, He is God. Three ways in which we see that the Lord is God in this passage of Scripture. First of all, the Lord is the God who rules over creation. Our text begins with a little meeting that took place. A meeting between the evil king Ahab, one of the most evil kings Israel ever had, and the godly prophet by the name of Elijah. And so when they meet, Elijah sees, or Ahab sees Elijah, and Ahab says to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? Not even, hi, how you doing? It's like, is that you? You are the troublemaker, Elijah. Well, there's a reason why Ahab called Elijah a troublemaker. Because in the previous chapter, chapter 17 of 1 Kings, Elijah told Ahab that there was a drought coming upon the land of Israel. Chapter 17, verse 1 says, As the Lord... The God of Israel lives before whom I stand. Surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except at my word. So it wasn't going to be just a few weeks that it wouldn't rain. That bothers us, right? Grass starts to get you know, burnt and the farmers are concerned. It wasn't just a few weeks. It wasn't even just a few months. It was years. And can you imagine what that would be like to have it not rain for years? I told my brother it's like living in Arizona. He says it hasn't, you know, sometimes he'll tell me it hasn't rained for six months. It's like, why do you live there? He comes here and it's, oh, all the green. I said, yeah, it actually rains here. Time to move back to your roots, brother. Time to move back. Years. So as we come to chapter 18... We are now in the third year of this drought. And as you can imagine, King Ahab was not happy. Not by any stretch of the imagination. And Elijah appeared to be in trouble. But if you look at how Elijah responded to Ahab's accusation, you see how bold he was in the Lord. He said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have troubled Israel, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. Now this guy's the king, a powerful king. He calls Elijah the troublemaker. Elijah, I don't know if he put his finger in his face, but I can imagine him doing that and say, I am not the troublemaker. You are the troublemaker. And Elijah makes it clear to Ahab why God brought this judgment upon the land of Israel. 
Ahab had led the people into idolatry. They had forsaken the commandments of the Lord and they were worshipping Baal. Now I think the commandments of God are pretty clear, right? What's the first one? I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods before me. What were they doing? Violating the very first commandment. And out of love for his people, the Lord was showing them how foolish it is to abandon the true and living God for false gods that are no gods at all. It was painful discipline, but it was loving discipline. And God could have used any number of things to discipline his people. God has many tools in his toolbox. He can use all kinds of things to discipline his people, but there is a reason why God used a drought. You see, Baal worshippers believed that Baal was in control of the weather. Baal was thought to be, they described him as the rider on the clouds. Here is this powerful God that's in control of the weather. So for Elijah to say that it will not rain except by my word, that was a direct challenge against the reality and power of Baal. And when it didn't rain because God said it wouldn't, and when it rained again because God said it would, what did that reveal to Ahab? It revealed to Ahab and the people of Israel that God rules over creation. He is the one who controls everything, including the weather. So when I uh, take my phone out and I look at AccuWeather, I say, hmm, do you really know what it's going to be seven days from now or ten days from now? Is it really 90% chance of seven inches of snow? Well, they got it wrong last time, didn't they? Who's in control of the weather? Who rules creation? The one who made it. <laughs> That's the God who rules creation. Aren't you thankful that God rules over creation? If he has created everything, and he rules over that which he has created, then we'd have to say there is nothing that is too difficult for him. And therefore we can trust this God who has created all things, that he is able to take care of us. Do you believe that? If you don't, read Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the Creator of heaven and earth. And then he goes on to explain, well, how, how does that impact our life? He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out, your coming in, from this time forth and forevermore. How can He do that? He made us. <laughs> he rules all of 
creation. So if this is who God is, why should we not trust Him? If this is who God is, why would we put our trust in anyone else or anything else but Him? The Lord, He is God. And He rules over creation. Notice secondly, the Lord is the God who requires our allegiance. If He made us, then we ought to follow Him, serve Him. King Ahab and the people of Israel had a view of God that had been negatively influenced by the nations around them. The nations around them thought, if having one God is good, then having another God is better. And if you can have even more than two gods, that would be just absolutely wonderful. The more you can have, the better. The more, the merrier. Then you got all your bases covered, right? you got Baal, the god of the weather, and you can have other gods for other things. Now John Olday, in his commentary, says, Evidence from biblical narratives and archaeological excavations makes clear that many saw no problem in worshiping God and Baal. Worship of a number of gods, each with, the, each with their own sphere of responsibility, was common throughout the ancient world and in some cultures today. He says God was the one who brought them out of Egypt and led them in battles. But in the cycles of life and the seasons, with the need for fertility in humans, animals, and crops, one turned then to Baal. So God led us out of Egypt. God provided us the promised land. But now that we're here, we're in another God's land now. So, let's just add Baal to our repertoire of gods. And then when there's trouble with the weather, the one who was the rider on the clouds, we'll turn to him. That's the way they thought. And that's kind of the way a lot of people think, right? They'll just have many different things they trust in. Yeah, we'll trust the Lord, but we have some other things as well. So Elijah was a prophet, and he knew the law. He knew that there was to be no other gods but the Lord. So this had to stop. And he confronts Ahab and the people of Israel with their idolatry, and he says, you need to make a choice. It's either God or Baal. Verse 21, Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, then follow Him. It's one or the other. Who are you going to follow? You see, God will accept no rivals. You cannot worship God and Baal at the same time. It's one or the other, and the people needed to decide who are they going to worship. Now, this is not an uncommon calling, command in Scripture, because we see that at least a couple other times. Moses, in Exodus 32, remember when he was on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, and they were worshiping a golden calf, of all things? Exodus 32, verse 25 says, Now when Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies, 
Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. What's Moses saying? What are you going to worship? Is it going to be me or is it going to be this golden calf? Whoever is for the Lord, Moses said, you come to me. Joshua, we read that passage this morning. He says, now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity. Put away the gods that your fathers served. Put away the gods of the land of the Amorites. And choose today whom you're going to serve. You, you, can't, you can't serve both. It's either me or the false gods of this world. And I love what Joshua said, don't you? You make your choice. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Dads, that's our calling. As leaders of our home, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So all throughout history, the people of Israel didn't seem to understand that God accepts no rivals. They were repeatedly confronted. Who are you going to worship? Who are you going to serve? It can't be both. It can't be both. Now, if you were there listening to this, what would you have done? I find it very interesting that the response to the message of Elijah was silence. Verse 21, But the people did not answer him a word. Isn't that amazing? They said nothing. You have to choose. It's one or another. And they just sat there and said nothing. Some suggest it might have caught them by surprise. <laughs> really? You mean we have to choose? Why can't we just have our repertoire of gods so that whatever situation comes up, then we can go to one of those gods and, and He can help us. And since they believed that Baal was in control of the weather, and there was this drought upon the land... What are we going to do? How can we choose the Lord when Baal is the God of the weather? And so they were sitting there just, hmm. They just didn't know what to do. And their silence says something about what they thought of God, doesn't it? It absolutely does. They saw the Lord as somehow limited in His power. They viewed the Lord as unable to help them with all of their needs. It's not that they wanted to give up on God, but they wanted Baal too, because there are times when they might need Him as well. Can you imagine just thinking that way? Uh, the people of Israel, the ones that were given the covenant, the commands of God, and, and there they were just, boy, we, we just don't know what to say. What are we going to do? 
Is this the struggle that some people face today? It's not that they don't want Jesus. At least that's what they would say. But they don't want to give up the other gods they serve as if Jesus isn't enough. That's the bottom line, isn't it? Is Jesus enough? Do you believe that Jesus is enough? If you do, then choosing whom you are going to follow shouldn't be a difficult decision, should it? It shouldn't be hard at all. If you are challenged, who are you going to serve today? It shouldn't be a difficult decision. It wasn't for Joshua. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So have you chosen to follow Jesus? No turning back. The Lord, He is the God who requires our allegiance. If we're going to follow Him, we need to turn away from everything else and worship Him alone. Notice thirdly, the Lord is the God who reveals His glory. Since the people of Israel struggled with the idea that the Lord was enough for them, Elijah presents a quite a sharp contrast between God and Baal. He does this through a, a little contest that took place on Mount Carmel. So he said to the people, I'm, I'm the only prophet. You've got 450 prophets of Baal. Let's just gather on Mount Carmel. We'll get two oxen. And you prepare your sacrifice. I'll prepare my sacrifice. And the God that answers by fire, he is God. Now, if you look at what Elijah did here, he, he gave the worshipers of Baal every advantage he could. As if that was a problem. Elijah was hugely outnumbered, right? There were 450 prophets of Baal against just him. And he doesn't want this to go unnoticed because he said to the people in verse 22, I'm the only one here. Baal pro Baal's prophets are 450. So he wanted to make sure they understood that they were given every advantage they could. 450 to 1. Another advantage Elijah gave to the Baal worshippers is that the proof of who is God is to be determined by the God which answers with fire. And this was perceived as an advantage to the Baal worshippers because he's the rider on the clouds, right? He's in control of the weather. What comes from the clouds when there's a storm? Oh, there's stuff that's called lightning, right? And you know as well as I do that lightning causes fires. One author says, Lightning linked with thunder and rain was believed to be Baal's arrows. <laughs> Baal's arrows. So Elijah gives opportunity for Baal to act where he is supposedly strongest. The God of the weather, the rider on the clouds, bring down fire. Oh, sure, right? Lightning out of the clouds. So he's setting them up here. See what he's doing? And then 
Look at what Elijah did with his altar. When he built that altar, he took water. He said, verse 34, Fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. So they did. He said, do it another time. So they did. Do it a third time. And they did it a third time, and the water flowed around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. I was never a Boy Scout, but I do know this. If you are going to build a fire, you don't douse it with 12 gallons of water. Okay? And that's what he did. From what I could gather, it was about 12 gallons of water. Now, what's the chance that you're going to light a fire after dousing it with 12 gallons of water. But that's what Elijah did. So he gave the worshipers of Baal every advantage he could think of. So what happened? Verse 26. Then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which they made. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them. He said, maybe you need to call a little louder. He might be occupied. Or he's gone aside. Maybe he's on a journey. Or he might be sleeping. He just needs to be awakened. So just yell real loud, and maybe that will help. Is it okay to mock, to be uh, like Elijah? I don't know, but he did it anyhow. So they cried with a loud voice. They cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. When midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice. No one answered. And no one paid attention. So it didn't matter how long they cried. It didn't matter if they danced around the altar and cut themselves so the blood was gushing out all over. There was no response. In fact, the writer makes sure we don't miss this because he says it twice. Verse 26, there was no voice and no one answered. Verse 29, there was no voice, no one answered. And no one paid attention. Baal had nothing to say. And they cried to him all day. Can you imagine how tired they were? (laughs) How hoarse their voices must have been. Crying out with a loud voice and frenetically dancing around the altar and nothing. There was nothing heard. Kind of interesting when the people of Israel were challenged... There was no word from them. When they called out to Baal, there was no word from him. God had a word, though, didn't he? God had a response. Verse 36, At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near. And he said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel. 
and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that these things, excuse me, that that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed not just the burnt offering, not just the wood, but the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. Now that should have been a little bit of an indication to the worshipers of Baal that God is awesome, (laughs) that God is powerful. The stones were... (laughs) Or no more. The dust, the water, it was all gone. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. The people of Israel discovered something important that day on Mount Carmel. They discovered in an unmistakable and unforgettable way that the Lord is the God who rules over all. Did they need Baal? Of course not. They didn't need any other God but the Lord because He is enough. He has always been and He always will be. So when will we get it into our hearts and minds that Jesus is enough we need no, no, nothing more than, than Him. Psalm 135, I read this morning. Verse 5 says, For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all the deeps. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth, who makes lightning for the rain, who brings forth the wind from his treasures. And then it contrasts the idols. Verse 15, The idols of the nations are but silver and gold, the work of man's hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear, nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. And then take, listen to this warning, those who make them will be like them. Yes, everyone who trusts in them. So if you're going to worship a false dead God, you're going to be just like that, dead, spiritually dead. If you're going to worship the living God, There's life. There's abundant life. There's spiritual life. There's eternal life. So which is it? Which is it? You choose the pathway of death? Following the gods of this world that could do nothing for you? Or follow the pathway of life? The true God. The living God. Will you cry out today with the people of Israel, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. He rules over creation. He reveals His glory. He requires allegiance. And He is all. He alone is all that we need.
Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the true and living God. We are, you are all that we need. Christ is enough for me, we sang last Sunday. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. And so we bow before you today. We acknowledge the God of Elijah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all those who put their trust in Jesus. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for your salvation, your provision, your protection. You are indeed all that we need. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.